Hey friends, welcome to the Lead Worship Well podcast. I'm your host, Chris Baker, and today I'm super excited to have with me none other than Anthony Evans. Anthony is a powerhouse vocalist. He's a worship leader, a singer-songwriter, a producer, and here recently he just authored his new book entitled When Faith Meets Therapy. I'm excited to have our friend Anthony on the show today. Let's welcome him. Hey friends, I am super excited to be with our guest today, none other than Anthony Evans. Anthony, my bro, how are you doing today? I'm good. I'm good, Chris. How are you? We're doing well, man. We're so honored to have you on the podcast. We're going to be diving into some really, really deep stuff. But I want to, before we get into all of that, man, I want to start from the beginning. Of course, you are the son of probably one of the greatest orators of our generation. Your family, I call you all the Avengers, man, because all of you all, <laughs> you all are walking in purpose and doing amazing things in the kingdom. I want to start there, man. What was it like growing up in the Evans household? It was actually amazing. It was hard externally because, yes, I'm Tony Evans Jr. and and all that stuff. But there was an outside pressure, but there was an inside pressure. Wow. And I'm actually very, very grateful. As I've grown into adulthood, obviously, you realize that, oh, not all preachers go through their whole career without scandal. And not all preachers stay at the same church. They started in an apartment when they were 22. Not all preachers stay with the uh, theology and not go with like current and what's what's yeah. what's a vibe right now to talk about. You know, so I didn't, I thought that that was just normal. What I was experiencing in my house was, I thought that that's just what, what preachers do. And as I went outside and grew, grew up and kind of went outside of my little block that I grew up on, I was like, this is not how it always goes. And it made me very grateful for the consistent nature of my mom and my dad and their integrity and their character and, and their commitment to their specific calling. They, they never dropped that commitment to their calling even before he was Tony Evans. You know what I mean? They yeah. just were like, nope, this is what this is what we're called to do. I love that. Yeah. That is great, man. That is great. So was there any pressure? I know you just said there wasn't the pressure on the inside, but on the outside, you'll carry your dad's name. And was there the pressure? Because most of the times when you grow up as a pastor's kid, and especially if you're that firstborn, they're thinking, well, yeah. you're going to grow up and you're going to take the church. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The next speaker or preacher. Did you encounter any of that pressure? What was that like? No, I did not. My, my dad would joke wow. and my mom from the other side of the room would go, Tony, don't even joke. <laughs> So she just, they were very intentional about not putting that on me. Yeah. I felt it, you know, from people outside, it'd be like, oh, you're going to preach just like your dad? You, it, like having his name and being his son, I liken it to, you know, if there was a Michael Jordan Jr., like any everybody would look at him, be waiting on him to touch a ball to see what happens when Michael Jordan Jr. touches the ball. That's just what people would do naturally. And I felt that from external sources. Anytime I was on the stage, I felt people looking at me like, ooh, is he about to be the next? I, sh I kind of shied away from it because of that pressure but it wasn't inside of our home. And I think my parents knew because outside there was so much that they wanted home to be neutral. Yeah, that is so great. You know, before we get into the book, everybody, they know you for your, your amazing music career. And man, I'm talking like, I'm a fan. I told you that. It goes back to when you were like, strength will rise when we wait. Oh, wow. All the way back there, bro. And I've always appreciated your ability to take CCM songs and put them in the cross-cultural context. And I love that because there's a secret sauce to it. People try to do it. They can't. But you do it with such grace that you don't really impact the integrity of the song. I want to unpack this. Man, what's your secret for how you be flipping these songs, bro? <laughs> My secret. It's not a really a secret. It's that it's innate to me. Like, I feel like I'm being me. 
I don't feel like I'm trying to run a song down the middle or trying to add this. I literally go into the studio and I, it's in my head what I'm hearing. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it comes out. I feel like it's the same thing that my dad does with his preaching. He's, he can be in a, a stadium, you know, for promise keepers that was mostly a white audience, or he could go uh-huh. to so-and-so missionary Baptist church and be there. And it's him being authentically himself. And there's enough soul in it. And there's enough of the other thing in it. There's enough it's just a natural thing that I watched growing up. We watched growing up. My sisters do it. My brother does it, but it's not us trying to do it. Just left an event with my sister Priscilla, and it's the same thing, except she's speaking to a bunch of women. But the room is mixed. They cross lines that would normally divide them, but she's not trying to, she's not sitting back in a conference room going, okay, how do we strategize making people cross lines? <laughs> it's just a part of, it's an innate part of who we are. And for a long time, it wasn't a thing. Like I, I did these albums, like the song you just sang, I did that because I was told that who I am doesn't work. So I oh, went and God. made that album on my own. That was wow. before, that was 2007, before this movement now, where yeah. it's like a thing. Mm-hmm. That was, people were like, this doesn't work, Anthony. So I just did me and wow. kept touring. <laughs> that is amazing. That is amazing. Mm-hmm. Okay, so with that, I mean, your latest record, Altered, is, again, another game changer. You know, the way you approach these popular songs and... I'm appreciative because I serve in a cross-cultural church and that's my heart. Mm -hmm. And so I love the fact that you are a pattern. You say you don't try to do it. Whatever you're doing, keep doing it, bro. I just (laughs) want to keep doing it. Thank you. you. I will. I will. (laughs) Because because the world needs it, man. The world needs it. Okay. So we're going to pivot a little bit. Now, being multifaceted, okay, you are a songwriter, you are a musician, you are a singer, you're an actor. Of course, we know you as a singer. And here recently, you've, this, you've authored your second book, but you went into authoring and, and writing. And I want to just unpack this. Most people have one talent. How do you balance when you have five talent? Man, how do you balance that? I think you have to just make sure that everything is going in one direction. I think I've made the mistake at sometimes of being like, okay, I'm doing the author thing and the singing thing and the producing thing. Now I'm going to go try to do something way over here that that's, that has nothing to do with these others. I think that's when you run into trouble. But wow. all the things that you mentioned are kind of going in one direction. It's, it's different fingers on the same hand. You know what I mean? And, and so I think that that works when you're strategic about it. Wow. Wow. And I just have ADD and like to diversify things because going <laughs> one thing for too long, I get bored. <laughs> Man, I'm the same way. I would get bored and it's like, let's go to something else. Now, yeah. with this book, first of all, I want to just talk about this book, When Faith Meets Therapy. Um, first of all, the title is everything. Thank you. There's nothing better than a good title. But it's typically when you're talking about faith and therapy, they don't go together. We have been taught that these are two totally different worlds. It's taboo to talk about therapy. It's taboo to talk about, you know, what's going on from an emotional wellness standpoint, um, here recently we've began to embrace the conversation. I want to ask you, what gave you the courage, man, to take that step? And you didn't write a book on, you know, how to worship God or Mm -hmm. (laughs) or getting in his presence. Your book was dealing with something that you're dealing with internally that's not oftentimes shared. What gave you the courage to have this conversation about therapy and faith? Um, I feel like the courage was conjured up by me thinking about people who may be like me. Mm. who may be the person who I liken it to needing tutoring in algebra class. Like, I remember how frustrating it was to see this book, this algebra book that everything in here is true. It works. And the teacher was working it out on the board. And I hated the feeling of like, I don't understand what's going on. I hated the feeling of being behind. I hated the feeling of failure because I would fail tests. And I had to admit to myself, 
in order to understand this book of truths and work these formulas out better, I need tutoring. That was what, that's what I, the conclusion I came to in the ninth grade when I had problems. And at this point, fast forward to my faith, I have a book of truths. I have my dad, the best teacher in the world, working them out. And I'm like, for some reason, I don't get this. And so instead of feeling, I don't always get this. So instead of feeling horrible about myself and feeling like a failure and actually failing because I'm trying to act like, oh yeah, I get it, I get it, I get it. I'm going to admit that I need help. I'm going to admit that I need a tutor. And therapy is the same as getting a tutor for algebra. Therapy has made it to where I understand and I actually pass and move on to the next level because I would readily admit that I don't understand. Wow. I really enjoyed the way it's written. It's so beautiful, man, because... I can tell you your dad's son because you got the storyteller in you. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah, a good I, preacher has got a good story. And yeah. you come with these amazing stories. And we're going to talk about a few, but I love that analogy and dealing with from, from an algebra standpoint. Like, yo, I, I need some tools because this doesn't make sense. You said in the book, like, don't you think I've read these scriptures over myself that God hasn't given me the spirit of fear? And don't you think I've done that? And it's still something is not computing. And that's right. how you felt like I needed something else. Now, I love that you... You made a decision to not just write the book by yourself, but what made you decide to partner with your therapist in this book? Well, it's a very unconventional thing. I remember very. mentioning it to Stacey. Her name is Stacy Kaiser. Mentioning it to her the first time. And this is after six years of her being my therapist. And she was like, I got to think about that because therapists can't even acknowledge you if they saw you at the mall. They, they're supposed to walk past you. They don't know you. Like, it's completely objective. So me acknowledging her in a book in front of everybody, she was like, I don't know if that, I got to figure out even how to do that. Right. But I wanted people to experience one, the, the, the synergy that we have. And then a lot of the lessons that I've learned with her, I didn't want to go write a book and act like all these lessons came from me. I want y'all to see how a therapist client relationship works. I want you to hear some of the life-changing things she told me from her. We have a synergy after all this time. And I was willing to kind of break down those walls around us mm-hmm. to, so that people could see yeah, it's really great because you're speaking in multi-tracks. Of course, we're, we're all creatives here. Yeah, and yeah. man, many of us, we struggle with our mental health, our emotional well-being. And a lot of times we can hide it under our creativity. But the moment we step off the stage, because what's been affirmed is what we put on the stage. But yeah. what's oftentimes not affirmed is that person. And when that's when we step off, we're faced with that person and we don't know what to do. And I think this book is so powerful because yeah. it gives you tools on how to deal with fear. Man, when you told the story about your horse, Gideon, okay. <laughs> yeah. It was absolutely incredible because there is a fear around talking about this stuff, Anthony. Like, okay, I shouldn't tell anybody about this. I Let me pray about it. But speak to someone right now that's listening that may be dealing with fear as it pertains to, you know, having a conversation about their emotional well-being. Right. Well, let me go back just to address what you just mentioned. You said that we're creatives and we have this stage and, and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. I want people, creatives especially, to understand that the stage is figuratively one hour of the day. You have another 23 hours where you have to face yourself. Wow. We've made the stage more important than the 23 other hours so good, that man. we have to deal with ourselves. And that's what I did for a long time. I, I made my identity that one hour on a stage. And then the other 23, I was like, who am I? What am I doing? And that, it needs to be the reverse, obviously. The, the stage needs to be an overflow of the other 23 hours and how much work you've done on yourself. So that's, that's one. Mm-hmm. For somebody who's facing fear, I think the first thing we have to do is identify, is this a legitimate fear or illegitimate fear? Mm -hmm. Because if God hasn't given us a spirit of fear, 
then when I'm facing fear, when fear paralyzes me, I'm like, this isn't from God. That's how I have to identify it. You know, there's also legitimate fear of that stovetop is red. So I have a fear of touching it. Like that is legitimate fear, Mm -hmm. but there's illegitimate fear that I mentioned. You mentioned Gideon in my horse story, and I'll just tell the listeners real quick. I was walking him into the barn and he he was like a 2000 pound draft horse. So he'd look like a Clydesdale, you know, like the big ones that pull the wagon. So he jumped huge and almost ran me over. And I was looking around like, what did he just jump at? I couldn't see anything. I didn't understand. The bottom line is I soon discovered that the sun was hitting him in a way that it cast this huge shadow on the concrete. It made him look like a dinosaur. Like he was, it was huge. This huge shadow was cast on the concrete and he was jumping and responding to a shadow. And that fear that was caused in him by that shadow almost hurt me. There are a lot of us who are afraid of shadows in our life, things that are not real. And our fear response is not only creating anxiety in us, it's perpetuating us potentially running over people who are near us. That's another kind of fear. That is a stop. And I'm going to assess whether this is legitimate or not and make moves after I have assessed this scenario. I'm not going to first respond out of fear. Man, I can listen to you talk all day, dude. This is is so powerful. It's so powerful. Another thought is you guys dealt really heavily with shame. And I thought it was liberating to hear your discussion dealing with shame. Uh, I think you titled it The Great Pretender. And uh, Mm -hmm. Stacey said this. She says, shame is the opposite of grace. Shame sabotages grace. Can you take a moment to really unpack that thought? Shame is a freezer. Shame will stop you in your tracks. Shame will stop progress. Like I'm so, if you sit in it, now there's healthy versions of it where you feel like that, man, that was not good. I shouldn't have done that. I'm ashamed of myself. And then you take the steps. I think if you sit in shame too long, it's literally like putting something in the freezer. It just stays there. And actually things can go bad in the freezer over time. Mm -hmm. I really believe that there's a healthy version but there's so many different nuances and on how to get out of that, whether, whether it's yeah. the people you're surrounded with, yeah. giving yourself grace, like allowing the Lord to come into your scenarios where you are and not thinking I got to get myself together before I present myself to you. I, it's, it's, there's so many versions of it. But the bottom line is what you mentioned earlier is that shame sabotages the experience of grace. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Unhealthy shame. Unhealthy yeah. shame sabotages wow. the experience <laughs> of, of real grace. I've heard, I think it was Brene Brown, she says, shame loses its power when you give it a voice. Oh, yeah. And sometimes we hide in our shame and we allow the enemy to use that shame to cause us to be locked in the room with open doors. And I believe that we're talking to somebody that's listening right now that the enemy isn't bombarding you with shame of whether it's a past mistake or something that you are done. But I just want to tell you, you cannot allow that shame to be more powerful than the grace that's available to you. And I'm telling you, this book, man, is, is life changing. I'm serious. I've read a lot of books dealing with emotional wellness. I have told my story, you know, depression is something that I struggle with. And being in church, it was always a taboo or I felt shame to have this conversation and say, hey, you know, I'm a musician, I'm a creative and I struggle with depression. Hey, I'm a preacher, I'm a teacher, but hey, I struggle with depression. And I noticed this anytime I get up and I share that story, uh, someone would come around and say, man, thank you so much for taking the time to share that because it's something that I was dealing with and I didn't know who to talk to. I didn't know if it was something that I should be dealing with this. And so I think that this book, man, it is a life-changing tool that I know you had to go through a lot. I know there was a price you had to pay. I know you even talked about before the pandemic, there were so many losses 
that your family encountered. And I just want to just unpack, like, how did you process through those losses, the loss of your beautiful mother, Miss Lois, and, and so many other family members? What was your process in unpacking and dealing with that grief? Well, the main thing, uh, and, and again, for, for those listening and who don't know, I, I landed at us losing our, our mother and my uh, brother-in-law lost his mother right after that. It was just, but there was eight family members over the course of two years right before the pandemic. And I remember being like, God, is this a joke? Like, is this is this a really cruel, horrible joke? I don't understand. Not saying that because we're a ministry family, we don't deserve this because I know people have hard stories. Mm-hmm. But I'm like, yo, this is crazy. This doesn't make any sense. And my nature as a Christian, as a male, as a black male, it, there are just layers and layers of hold it in, be tough, be strong. Yes. I mean, that, that's all these different layers that create that. And I had to get to a point where I was like, yo, you holding this stuff in is literally like having a, a really pretty trash can that's full, but you close it up and make it look like it's really nice. It's all stainless steel. Like nobody can tell that it's full, but after so a while, good, this is going to stink. Like so this is good. going to start permeating everything in your life. So I had to get to a point where I was willing to open that and deal with it. And, and in the book, we basically say you have to feel it to heal it. Mm. Yeah, the, the, the way out of your sorrow and your grief is not around the valley. It's through it. It's through it. You have to go through it. And and it's crazy. But I remember uh, Stacey telling me at one point, and again, Stacey's my therapist and the co-writer of When Faith Meets Therapy. I t- she said, Anthony, take a picture of your mother. At my house in LA has a, like a rooftop on it. You can go up there. She said, your mother loves sunsets. Take a picture of your mother up to the roof, watch the sunset and let whatever emotions come. If it's gratitude, if it's tears, if it's uh, immense grief, you have to let those come. Because those tears are in you. If you hold those in, they stay there. They go somewhere inside. They don't go away. Mm-hmm. And over time, you pushing that down and pushing that down, pushing that down will create random anger at people. It'll create like, why am I feeling depressed today? It'll create physical tiredness. It'll. They are going somewhere. Yeah. So I think that with grief, with anger, with whatever emotions, you have to feel it to heal it. And that's how I got to a place of joy. Those tears want to come out because on the other side of them is a return to joy. <laughs> wow. Man, that is so beautifully put, man. Again, when faith meets therapy is a game changer resource. And we here at Multitracks, we appreciate you for just telling us your story, man. Having the courage to just, okay, this is where I am. This is how I am fighting through this thing. And when I tell you guys, it's one of the greatest books that I've read. And I'm not just saying that because I'm one. Uh, I have Anthony on the podcast. It's truth. I hate reading a book that just tells me what's wrong with me, but don't give me any solutions. And you, <laughs> the, the thing I love about it is at the end of every chapter, there's a recap. And then you yeah. give solutions that are dealing with whatever we just covered. If it was shame, if it's fear, if it's dealing with grief, if it's dealing with loss. And I absolutely love that. I walked away from each chapter with something that I knew I can apply to my life to make me better. Jesus, when he went to the man at the pool of Bethesda, he didn't ask him, do you want to be healed? He says, man, do you want to be whole? And I think what God is wanting from his children, from us, is not just for us to be healed, but he wants us to be made complete and to be made whole. And that is only found in him and making ourselves available to wonderful resources like when faith meets therapy. Anthony, I know your time is limited. My friend, my last question is just based on this book, what is it that you want people to take away when they read this book? What is your your hope? Well, 
I'll say this because we're on with multi-tracks and I know, I feel like it's going to be a lot of worshipers or MDs or people who are in that field. I want everybody listening, including myself, we need to stop celebrating the fact that a lot of us can play injured. There are athletes who literally can tape up an ankle and get on the court and their ankle is killing them, but they still can score. And sometimes we celebrate that. We celebrate the fact that you got on there injured and the audience is so excited and we go back to the training room and take that tape off and we can barely walk. And then we give it a second and then we go tape it up again and we go out there and we play injured. And ultimately what we are creating is a scenario where that sprained ankle will turn into ligaments that are messed up, will turn into tendons that are tearing and you cannot come back from that. You can, but you'll have a limp. And I'm saying an athlete that decides to go into physical therapy, we would never be like, why are you doing that? Why? We would want them to be better. Mm-hmm. I want us as worship leaders people who are in ministry to be okay with taking a beat, like taking a second to get it to where we are not doing that. I can do that. I can go do worship concerts with a depressed soul and my heart broken. I don't want that to be the norm. God will honor you taking a break, taking a beat for yourself to be whole. So he, he doesn't want to see you out there knowing that you're hurting. I love what Simone Biles did at this last Olympics, being one of the greatest athletes ever, But there came a moment, even though she could do it, where she was like, something is going on in my head. I have to step out of this, even though it may cost everybody. They may not win the gold because of me. But she was like, if I do this, I may injure myself where I cannot recover from it. So I have to think about not injuring me and potentially let y'all down. But y'all will be all right. Y'all will be all right. And I want the worship leaders um, listening to be about that, to be about their their health, their wellness, and be surrounded by people who can help them get there. Absolutely incredible, my friend. Anthony, thank you for your time. Thank you for your testimony. Thank you for your story. Thank you for your life, man. And I just want to take a moment to encourage you. You are a light for so many people, man, to continue to allow God to use you to use your incredible story, man, because he's going to bring healing through this story. I can speak from what this book did for me. What God allowed this book to do, man, it brought liberation to my soul. And I want to personally take a moment to thank you for that and just tell everybody, listen, get this book. It's available on every outlet wherever you get your books from, and it will be an absolute blessing to your life, man. Anthony, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Appreciate it. And man, you take care of yourself, brother. Thank you for having me. 